Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member, and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. Hello folks and welcome to another episode of Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. Last Wednesday in July, so it's almost August already if you can believe that. Got another awesome show on tap today. We'll start things off with McKinney's Mailbag as I'll answer some questions from some of my friends posed to me on Facebook. After that, this day in sports history. And then I'll be joined by Fayetteville Woodpeckers, clubhouse assistant and bat boy, Brian Chandler. Last week I called him the bat boy. He's also the clubhouse assistant of the Woodpeckers, a single-A minor league team in the Carolina League. They're affiliated with the Houston Astros. He recently broke a story about the Braves potentially signing Yasil Puig before the national reporters did. Obviously, Yasil now has COVID-19 and has not joined the Braves yet because he failed his physical when testing positive for that. But we'll have the story on that and more with Brian later in the show. He'll join me for Call of the Bullpen and stick around for Ranky Panky as we rank our top five baseball movies. Can't wait for you to hear today's show. Right now, let's kick it off with McKinney's Mailbag. Actually, hold up time out before we get to McKinney's Mailbag. Now, I just had a couple quick notes for you about today's show. This was recorded early last week, so we've gotten some more clarity on some things that we'll be discussing later. McKinney's Mailbag, I discussed WWE's women's division, and Sasha Banks just became the new Raw Women's Champion as of Monday Night Raw. Now, I refer to Asuka as the Raw Women's Champion. That's because this was recorded prior to that change. And I talk about Sasha and hoping she gets a better title reign in the future. Well, she's got a title reign on Raw, now a five-time champion instead of four. Just wanted to give you that note. Also, call the bullpen later. My guest Brian Chandler and I discussed several topics, especially concerning the Atlanta Braves, and we got more clarity about those subjects as well. We discuss the designated hitter and who will possibly be the DH for the Braves. They picked up Matt Adams after we recorded this, and he has served as DH in the majority of their games so far this season, so it looks like he's going to have a big role in the club. And we also talk about the Braves' starting rotation. Cole Hamels was placed on the injured list just a few days after I recorded with Brian, so we talk about Cole, but now he's at least out for those 45 days on the injured list. And then also Mike Fultonevich, we both talk about being fans of his, and he was actually designated for assignment by the Braves following their loss to the Tampa Bay Rays this past Monday. So just a few quick notes. Now we're ready for McKinney's Mailbag. Okay, and we're off and running now. McKinney's Mailbag. This is the second installment. Haven't done one since I think the first week of June. So really looking forward to answering these questions. I set out on social media and asked my friends to pose questions to me. I had three friends who on Facebook gave me two questions apiece. So thank you guys for that. 
I'm going to start off with Zach Colburn, former co-worker of mine, fellow sports journalist who does a great job with the Wilkes Journal Patriot, another North Carolina paper. Really enjoy Zach's work. Really enjoyed working with him for about 16 months. It was my first full-time job about six, seven years ago. So thanks, Zach. You know, we're both big wrestling fans, and we've kept in touch ever since and follow sports and wrestling and uh, like a lot of the same teams as well. So that's pretty awesome. But anyway, Zach had a couple questions for me. His first question was, what AEW or NXT superstar has the most upside? Now, I don't know if he meant one or the other, but I'm going to answer for both AEW and NXT. In AEW, there's a lot of young talent. There's some guys that I'm big fans of. Uh, I've got a couple, though, from AEW. Hangman Adam Page is the first. Hangman Adam Page is a guy who at first in AEW seemed like he was just there. You know, he did challenge for the world title in the first ever world title match against Chris Jericho, which he lost. But I'm telling you, I think Hangman is going to be a champion in the fairly near future, possibly even as soon as next year. Hangman is 28 years old, and I kind of forgotten he was that young until last week when JR was talking about, you know, this guy's even turned 30 yet, and he's not even 29. So Hangman's got a ton of potential. He's a, got an awesome style in the ring. He can fly a little bit, but he's a kind of a smash mouth type guy, smash mouth type character. Really, his character started taking off when he started uh, going into the fans and drinking beer. Now, obviously, he can't go into the fans right now and, and do that, but he is still the beer-drinking guy, and I love his character work. I love his in-ring work. He's still growing as a performer, and I think he has the most upside in AEW. Now, another guy who's got a lot of upside I'm a huge fan of, Darby Allen. His character work is awesome, and I really can't wait to see what Darby's going to do. He's kind of a Jeff Hardy-type in-ring performer, and he takes risk, and the coffin drop is his finisher, and he's willing to go out there and do whatever. I mean, he's a skateboarder on the side. He makes his own videos that are shown on AEW television. Big fan of Darby Allen. I think he's got a bright future, and time will tell whether he's a world champion caliber wrestler, but I think he's definitely a TV champion caliber wrestler. Cody Rhodes currently has that title, but I can see Darby Allen getting that and becoming kind of a workhorse type as well. Darby hasn't been overly featured on AEW. He's been regularly featured, but not to the extent that you're like, oh, I'm just tired of seeing this guy. And AEW's done a great job like that. I mean, Hangman Adam Page hasn't been either, which obviously COVID-19 pandemic had something to say with that as he was gone for a while. But great to see him back. And I just look forward to seeing what both of those guys' future have. I think they both have great upside. I think there are others in AEW that have great upsides as well. I mean, Jungle Boy is super young. I think 23. MJF's a great classic heel. But I think it's Hangman Adam Page, Darby Allen in my book. Now, NXT, I don't watch much NXT. I do follow it some. Uh, Karrion Cross is a guy who stands out to me. I watched him a lot in Impact Wrestling. Scarlet by his side, I think, is huge. His real-life girlfriend, and she does a great job as his manager. And Cross has a great look. He's got the look that Vince McMahon would like. He can get it done in the ring. He's not going to blow you away, but he's a good big man, and he can talk. So I think Cross has a great future. I know he's in his mid-30s, so he's not the youngest guy, but hey, AJ Styles didn't make it to the WWE until he was in his mid to late 30s. and I mean, he's like 40 now, so I think Cross has a bright future, and I look for him to be on the main roster sooner rather than later. And another name I'll mention, Pete Dunn. Only 26 years old. I love his style. He's very unique, and I think that could serve him well in the future. And then Keith Lee, you got to mention him. Big guy who doesn't move like a big guy. He's got a lot of upside as well on the main roster. 
We've seen some interactions he's had on some WWE pay-per-views uh, with Brock Lesnar and guys like that. So I think they really think highly of Keith Lee, who obviously is the NXT champion right now. Moving on, which AEW star will have a breakout year the rest of this year and in 2021? Again, there are a lot of names there. For some reason, I really think Ray Phoenix is about to break out. This guy, the more I watch him, the more he's like a younger Ray Mysterio. The guy is so fluid, and I know he's in a tag team, the Lucha Bros, with his brother, Pentagon Jr. Ray Phoenix, to me, is the standout of those two. And I could see Ray having a breakout year. I could also see Sammy Guevara having a breakout year at some point. Probably going to go face and feud with Chris Jericho, which is going to be huge for him. As of right now, he's sitting under the learning tree of Jericho, getting tutelage from him. And Sammy Guevara just came back, obviously, from the one-month suspension. Really seems like he learned a lot from that and is well-liked backstage. And there are some tweaks he needs to make, I think, to his character in some ways. But my goodness, Sammy Guevara can get it done in the ring and I think has a bright future and could be that breakout star that we see take it to another level going into the latter part of this year and next. And Wardlow, even though he's kind of MJF's muscle, I've been very impressed with him in the limited amount of times I've seen him in the ring. He really moves well for a big man, and I think Wardlow is a guy who could break out as well. Those were Zach's questions. Thank you, Zach. We're going on to Nate Warden's questions now. Nate also had a couple wrestling questions for me. First of all, is the women's division carrying the WWE right now? This is pretty simple. Yes, absolutely. The women's division has been the highlight of WWE television for a while now. And Sasha Banks and Bayley right at the forefront of that. Bayley, the current SmackDown Women's Champion, has been for nearly a year now. Sasha and her are the women's tag team champions. So they've been appearing on all three brands, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and been killing it. Never been a huge Bailey fan, but she has never been better than lately as a heel. She has been great. She's excelled there, and I think she's really improved. I've always been a Sasha fan. She's my favorite female wrestler, period. And I look for her to, you know, we think there's going to be that inevitable feud between her and Bailey that they keep putting off and putting off and putting off. But you think it's probably going to come to a head at some point, and Sasha's going to be a champion again. Hopefully, they're finally going to give her a longer singles run with the title because she really hasn't had a chance to do that yet, even though she's a four-time champ. Never has successfully defended a title on pay-per-view, which I'm not a huge fan of that, but I think it's going to happen, and I think she'll have a better reign next time. But in short, yes, the women's division's carrying WWE right now. I mean, you don't just talk about that. Asuka's doing a great job as the Raw Women's Champion. You've got some other women being featured on television, and I see bright things in the future of someone like Lacey Evans, who just turned heel again. I see bright things in the future. I mean, Naomi fans are really rallying behind her on social media. She's got a lot of talent. There's a lot of young talent. Even Dana Brooke is improved by leaps and bounds. So that's just talking about some of the SmackDown women mostly. Charlotte Flair out right now and Becky Lynch. So that's two of the four horsewomen, as they're called. So, you know, Nikki Cross, I didn't even mention her. That SmackDown women's division in particular is loaded. And the women's division is just so much fun to watch. It used to be back in the day, and I hate to say it like this, but the women's matches used to be kind of your bathroom break matches at times because they didn't really put much stock in the women. It wasn't that you didn't like the women in the ring. It was the fact that they just didn't treat them with very much respect or give them much time, and I, that's changed in a lot of instances these days. You're seeing women main events. You're seeing women. I know it's outside of WWE, but Impact Wrestling has the best women's division in the world right now to me. 
AEW has got some talented women on their roster, but WWE is being carried by the women's division right now. I have enjoyed Drew McIntyre as champion. I have enjoyed MVP and the stable he's building now with Lashley and Shelton Benjamin. But yeah, the women's division is definitely carrying the product right now. Now, second question from Nate. He asked me, putting nostalgia aside, who had slash has the better elbow drop? Macho Man Randy Savage or Kyrie Sane with her insane elbow? Macho Man brings back a lot of nostalgia. And, you know, he said, put nostalgia aside, so I will. Kyrie Sane does have the best elbow drop that I've seen. The height she gets on that, the way she sells it is just second to none in my opinion. There have been some great elbow drops. Uh, Macho Man, obviously, one of the innovators of it. But Shawn Michaels had a great elbow drop. Bailey has a pretty solid elbow drop and kind of looked up to Macho Man and started using that. But Kyrie Sane, man, I've become a bigger fan of Kyrie here recently, and it looks like she's potentially on her way out of WWE and maybe going back to Japan, which is a shame that I'm just now kind of becoming a big fan of hers, and I really enjoyed her work recently. I mean, she had some matches lately that have really been great. I mean, there was one with Sasha. I really enjoyed that. Two great workers. So Kyrie, I've got to go with the insane elbow as being the better elbow drop between her and Macho Man. And then we move on. Steve Roderick had the last two questions. I got the chance to cover Steve's sons a little bit in high school football. One of them now is at Lenore Ryan. He's one of the kickers on the roster at Lenore Ryan. So wishing him luck, and maybe I'll see him some more down the road and get to cover him some more since that's a team I'm covering. But Steve Roderick had a couple questions for me. First of all, what has been your most memorable interview for the podcast? This is a tough one because I've had a lot of great interviews over the past few months, but the one that comes to mind anytime I think about it is I still think one of the best episodes we've put together. The May 27th episode of this year, episode 5, my interview with Ryan Heckman of TheWindyCity.com. You can check out Ryan's work. He does a great job. He's a great guy, very devout Christian, and I really enjoy Ryan's work and also look up to him as a man. But we had a great conversation. We talked for the better part of an hour, and we discussed The Last Dance. Ryan's a huge Chicago sports fan, and that was a lot of fun. We also had a great installment of Ranky Panky that week as we counted down our top five non-title winning NBA teams. So I enjoyed that episode. I've enjoyed a lot of others as well, but that's the one that comes to mind when I start thinking about most memorable. It's the one with Ryan Heckman. And then lastly, Steve's second question, the last question I'll answer, who do you think played a bigger role on the Braves of the 1980s, Dale Murphy or Bob Horner? You know, both these guys were huge. They were the kind of the one-two punch of power in the Braves lineup back in the 80s. But Bob Horner was injured a lot throughout his career, and had he not been injured, maybe the answer's different. I'm going to go Dale Murphy, you know, a guy who potentially has a great case to be in the Hall of Fame. One of only four multiple-time MVPs to not be in the Hall of Fame, along with guys like Barry Bonds, who, in my opinion, is not in there for a good reason, even though he was a great player. Roger Maris and Juan Gonzalez, the other two. But Dale Murphy, 1982 and 83 NL MVP, a seven-time All-Star, a five-time Gold Glover, a four-time Silver Slugger, was just a mainstay in the Braves lineup, a great guy off the field. He won the Roberto Clemente Award. I think it's Dale Murphy who played a bigger role in the Braves of the 1980s. Because, I mean, you look at him, he was kind of the Chipper Jones of his time. 
Chipper was the cornerstone of the Braves, the late 90s, 2000s, and that time period, whereas Murphy was in the 80s. So I'm going Dale Murphy, and it wasn't too hard. I mean, Bob Horner was a great player and deserves a lot of credit for what he was able to do, but injuries, unfortunately, put him behind Murphy for me. So thanks to Zach, Nate, and Steve for those questions this week. I enjoyed this edition of McKinney's Mailbag. Now let's head in to this day in sports history. We start this week's installment of This Day in Sports History all the way back on July 29, 1887, when future founder and owner of the New York Giants, Tim Mara, was born in New York. The Giants were established in 1925, and Mara was the team's owner until his death at age 71 in 1959. During Mara's time as owner, the Giants won four NFL championships. Now keep in mind this was pre-Super Bowl era. But they won the championships in 1927, 1934, 1938, and 1956. In 1963, Mara was one of 17 charter members of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, along with such names as Jim Thorpe, Ernie Nevers, Sammy Baugh, Red Grange, George Hallis, and Bronco Nagurski, among others. We jump far ahead to July 29, 1961, when the Philadelphia Phillies lost 4-3 to the San Francisco Giants to begin a streak of 23 consecutive losses, which remains the longest losing streak in the modern two-league era that began in the early 1900s. The Phillies would finally end their losing streak with a 7-4 win over the Milwaukee Braves on August 20, 1961, the first of a season-high four straight victories for Philadelphia. However, the Phillies would finish with a record of 47-107, marking their fourth straight season with a losing record. The Phillies would bounce back with an 81-80 record the following year, their first of six straight winning seasons. Next up, July 29, 1990, when the LPGA Championship was won by Beth Daniel, marking Daniel's first and only major title of her career. Daniel defeated Rosie Jones by one stroke and finished four under par for the four-day tournament, which was held at Bethesda Country Club in Bethesda, Maryland. Daniel earned 41 professional wins in her career, including 33 victories in LPGA Tour events. Her first LPGA Tour victory came during her rookie year of 1979, while her last victory on the LPGA Tour came in 2003 at the age of 46, making her the oldest winner in Tour history. We wrap things up on July 29, 2014, when the Chicago Cubs defeated the Colorado Rockies 4-3 in 16 innings at Wrigley Field in a game that was the longest game time-wise in Cubs history at 6 hours and 27 minutes. The Rockies scored all three of their runs in the top of the first inning, but Chicago rallied with a single run in the bottom of the first and two in the bottom of the fourth before winning it several hours later in extra innings. After running out of relief pitchers, Chicago turned to backup catcher John Baker, who pitched a scoreless top of the 16th inning before drawing a leadoff walk and scoring the winning run on a sacrifice fly by Starlin Castro in the bottom half of the inning. In the process, Baker became the first Cubs position player in 112 years to earn a win as a pitcher. 
That's it for this day in sports history. Now let's jump into my conversation with Brian Chandler, a clubhouse assistant and bat boy for the single-A Fayetteville Woodpeckers of the Carolina League. Well, Brian, thanks for coming on the podcast with me today. No problem. I appreciate you having me on. My attention was drawn to you on Twitter over the past week. I know it's been a very interesting week for you, to say the least. Just to clarify for people, I know Yasil Puig had a physical that he failed because of COVID. He ended up having COVID. He was going to sign with the Braves. But before that bad part of news, a few days prior to that, you uh, tweeted out, I've got the tweet here I want to read for the, the listeners who haven't seen it. Not to alarm anyone, but I'm 99% positive Yasil Puig just walked out of the Omni Hotel in the Battery, walked past me and got in the back of an Uber. Big muscular man, same hair, same face. Don't want to be that guy that breaks something wrong, but Puig to the hashtag Braves question mark. And so, basically, you were the first person before a lot of national reporters to break that uh, Yusil Puig might be going to the Braves. So, uh, just explain what happened, this story. Wow, what a wild week, huh? Between, I mean, you see Yusil Puig, you know, he's very recognizable. If I saw Ryan Flaherty or Preston Tucker, I don't think I'd bat an eye, but it's it's Yusil Puig. So, it's hard not to miss him, even with the, the mask covering his face and all. But uh, yeah, what a wild three, four days that was. It, it's died down a bit. I'm still getting some attention. People want me on the news and stuff. But I mean, man, between the ups and the downs of this week, it's just been wild because, I mean, it, it feels like my luck. You know, I, I break this news and then three days later, oh, well, now he's not signing with the Braves. It's just, I mean, it's still a pretty big deal, even if the signing doesn't happen. But I mean, wow, just between my Twitter notifications, my friends blowing my phone up. I mean, it's just, I've never experienced anything like this. It's a cool feeling for sure. I know you got some shout outs from guys like Ken Rosenthal, John Heyman. I think Jeff Passan kind of burned you a little bit on Twitter from what I saw. Uh, what was that like? That, that was awesome. I love Jeff Pass. And, uh, but yeah, I had a, I don't know what it was in my, I was in a hotel. I took a selfie. You know, I, no, my mom took a picture for me because Jeff Passan had originally made fun of my profile pic because there was a mirror pic in a department store, which I thought it looked nice. But I wanted to please Jeff Passan a little bit. So I took a new photo and I had something on my bed, but he always finds something to roast you for. So he got, he got me good twice. That that was awesome, but uh, between that, Ken Rosenthal, I think when Rosenthal had tagged me, I think that's when it really hit, because obviously Rosenthal's probably the biggest in the game right now, so that was just kind of makes you want to like make it your Twitter header, make it your pinned tweet. Cool feeling. Absolutely. I saw your followers grew from 250 to over 1,000, so uh, congratulations on being in the uh, quadruple digits. I'm still working my way up there. <laughs> I think I'm at 700 and something right now. But um, we talk about Puig, and we're still waiting to see, you know, hopefully he gets over COVID quickly and, and maybe still will join the Braves in the future. Uh, what do you think a guy like Yusil Puig could bring to the Braves? Well, I think that losing Marcakis, you look at your options in free agency and in the farm system, and Puig is the only option besides maybe a potential trade that can either replace Marcakis' production or possibly even improve it. I figure Puig would probably platoon with Duval for the most part, just because we're so unsure on how the DH will be used. 
We don't know if it's going to be Riley and Camargo at third in DH. We don't know if Ozuna is going to DH. So that being said, it's still unsure what Puig's role would have been. But I think the big thing is Marquegas, that hole is still there. So Puig coming back to Atlanta, I think, is very realistic still. I think Anthopolis probably is looking for some other trade candidates right now. I want to say that's probably the main reason the deal didn't go through because it could be a week. He could be back. I mean, it, it was asymptomatic, I'm pretty sure. So if Anthopolis can't find another trade, I imagine Puig will be back, but you never know. Yeah, and I'll say this podcast will come out on the 29th, so by then we may have a little more clarity about the situation, and, and the Braves will have played a handful of games by then. How excited are you about the return of baseball? Man, I usually don't enjoy spring training games very much because, you know, it's about 33 games, but I find myself watching every second of the games the last two days, and I'm sure I'll watch a bunch of games tonight. It makes it a lot easier when there's only about five days of spring training, but uh, regular season, I'm so pumped. I don't like 60 games. I wish they could have fit some double headers in there, maybe got it to 70. But at this point, I don't think you can complain. Yeah, at one point I was kind of like, man, I really hope they can play 100 games or more eventually this season because you know, I've, I've thought about baseball and I've made the remark before that it's a marathon and not a sprint. And so this season's going to be more like a sprint because of 60 games. Every game is going to have even more importance because, you know, you look at like the Washington Nationals last year and the way they started wouldn't even been in the playoffs after about 50 games and ended up winning World Series. So that shows you how much different this season could be. I mean, we could see some wild team get into the playoffs. It's just hot for those 60 games. And so it's going to be different for sure. I think that uh, an important thing to look at is one game could equal about two and a half over 162 so you start 0 and 5 I mean good luck you know five game losing streak that could kill you honestly 10 game losing streak I mean that's hard to do but that's like you start the season one and nine you're done that's 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 tough and I know you mentioned uh, the designated hitter universal this year for both National League and American League how do you feel about that I like it I'm a nationally kind of guy. I wouldn't say I like watching pitchers hit, but I like the strategy involved. I like the late inning drama involved with that, but it creates jobs. There's going to be 15 more guys that have a job each year. So I, th- I think it's good for baseball, you know, got to adapt or die. That's what they say. I think it'll be good. I agree. I think uh, I would like to see it be both ways for both leagues, either way they go. And uh, this seems like the obvious route to take with that. You know, back in the day, we had some good hitting pitchers on the Braves, you know, Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, and it was fun to watch a pitcher hit. Today, most pitchers don't know how to bunt. And uh, there aren't a lot of great hitting pitchers besides a few. But I like it. I think uh, you mentioned the names like Ozuna, could possibly see some time at DH. Riley, I think we got some perfect guys for it to make our lineup even stronger in Atlanta. And then you think about the uh, one rule I don't like so much is the extra innings rule where you're going to have a a guy put on second base to begin the inning. I'm not really a fan of that. What what are your thoughts? Well, I actually work with the Fayetteville Woodpeckers uh, minor league team for the Houston Astros. And working the games – I like the rule just because, you know, the 10th inning comes around. You don't necessarily want to be standing around for another hour. But from the fan perspective, I guess I'll have to learn to like it. I think it's a very National League type of rule. You know, guys at second base, you got to get the bunt down. I mean, we're going to have to get used to it. Hopefully it's just one year. I imagine next year that's gone. I guess if they like it a lot, it could stay. 
but I don't think fans are going to like it in general. So I think it'll be one and done. I, I hope at least. I mean, at least it is fair for both teams that will be doing that. So that part of it is, is good. I did want to talk about the Woodpeckers, how long you've been doing that and what you do with them. So I started in 2019. I'm a bad boy slash clubhouse assistant. It's a very awesome job. I would actually, any advice to kids, if you're in high school or college and you want to get into sports, this is like the perfect job if you have a minor league team in your area because the connections you can form through this job is tremendous. I've formed so many connections already. I feel like it's created a path for me if I do want to end up having a career in baseball. It's so hard to get in. Anthopolis, one of the fan fests that the Braves held, he, I remember him talking about how he started as a letter guy. He opened fan mail, I think responded to some for the Expos, and that's how he got his start. So if he can become the general manager from that, I imagine becoming the bat boy slash clubhouse assistant can get you pretty far as well. But yeah, I love the job. It's so much fun. Yeah, and uh, I work in North Carolina as well. I'm, I'm a sports editor in Hickory, North Carolina. We've got the Hickory Crawdads minor league team there, and uh, it's been a lot of fun to cover them. Obviously, this year we're unfortunately not getting minor league baseball, which is tough for a lot of guys, and, and I hate that. But, you know, I enjoyed last year I came on in Hickory and got to cover several games for the Crawdads, and it's a lot of fun. Minor league baseball, it's a different kind of atmosphere. What's the atmosphere like that you've seen in minor leagues? It's awesome. It's definitely different from the majors. Just a lot of fun. I don't. I wouldn't say I pay too much attention to the fans because I'm so focused on the game, my job. But minor league baseball is just so different. It's just you can go to the game, maybe not even pay attention to the game. You'll just have fun just sitting in the seats, just enjoying the atmosphere of it. Yeah, it was heartbreaking when they canceled it. I kind of had this had a feeling this was happening. Kind of had a feeling since April, especially when they started talking about the taxi squad things. But hopefully it's back next year. Not sure what's going to happen with this corona thing, but I'm just looking forward to the 2021 season. Yeah. So getting back to the Braves a little bit, you know, obviously two straight division titles. But it's been a long time since the Braves won a playoff series and thought maybe it was going to happen last year. The, the game I'd really like to forget, that last game against the Cardinals, was really tough to watch. What do you think it's going to take for the Braves to take that next step and, and win a playoff series and advance deeper? <sighs> well, I'd like to say that we were better than the Cardinals. I mean, it's just a matter of one bad inning. Because you look back at that game, we scored one run. But we also gave up 10 runs in the first inning. That probably had a big factor. I mean, I don't know what it's going to take. You know, I like the team this year. There's some guys that need to step up, but I mean, a healthy Freddie Freeman, that would have made the difference too. I don't want to blame him too much for what happened in the series. I know who Freddie Freeman is as a person. He doesn't want to sit out, but that was tough. It was tough to watch, and I know that was tough for him. But uh, I like the bullpen this year. I like it a lot. Bull Smith is a big addition. Uh, I also looked back at game one, what happened with Chris Martin and him getting injured. That was a big factor. I think that if uh, he stayed in the game, didn't get hurt, we could have easily swept that series. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the bullpen's a big thing that I think has improved during the offseason. Uh, I like some of the guys we've got out there already. I think Melanson's a good veteran presence to have out there. I do look for Will Smith to eventually get more closing opportunities, and obviously it can depend on matchups as well. Although the three-batter rule now with relievers, you know, a pitcher has to face a minimum of three batters. Get your take on that rule as well. 
I hate it for certain guys, obviously Johnny Venner's, Jerry Blevins, their jobs are kind of in risk. If you can't get a righty out or if you can't get a lefty out, well, that's tough for you. But uh, that's kind of another rule I'll have to watch to see if I like it or not. I'm not really sure if it's going to make the game go by quicker because if you have a guy that looks bad and they want to get him out of the game fast, but now you can't, he has to face more guys that could maybe delay things a bit. But I've watched spring training games with the rule. I've watched enough and I haven't really noticed it. I don't think it's going to be as noticeable as most people think it is, but we'll see. There's obviously going to be moments where somebody comes in and we're thinking, oh, get him out. He doesn't have it after one at bat, but we'll see when that comes along. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the differences that uh, managers have in approaching you know, their bullpen with rules like that. Do they stick with a guy longer? But we'll see. I mean, it's going to be interesting to watch for sure. You know, I talk about the Braves and, and two guys that really stand out to me are obviously Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies. So happy they locked both of those guys up long-term to team-friendly deals, and uh, those guys just wanted to stay around and play together. So your thoughts on those two? <laughs> I love them. I love them so much, and uh, I want to say they're making about $2 million combined this year, so that's obviously a bonus. Uh, I've seen a lot of the predictions. Acuna could win MVP, Albies could win MVP, and I believe both of those very heavily. Great one-two in the lineup. Not much else to say besides that. I mean, they're just I, there's nothing like that in baseball relationship-wise. Just I love them, the speed, the power. Ozzy really shocked me with the power. I remember a few years back, I was kind of hoping that uh, Travis Demerit would be the second baseman of the future. And I, I'm glad I was wrong on that because I thought Ozzy was just going to be another endurance yarte, which obviously I was very wrong on that. I had very bad judgment when I was making that call. I'm glad I've gotten a lot smarter about baseball. But yeah, I love them. Yeah, Ozzy really seems to put in a ton of work. I know Ron Washington and he are close, and that's a great guy for him to uh, kind of have as a mentor on the Braves. Acuna is probably my favorite player right now in the game. Ozzy's right up there. Freddie Freeman's probably second right now, just behind Acuna. But uh, I love the way, you know, having those three guys at the top of a lineup makes you so dangerous. And I hate that we lost Josh Donaldson. I really liked his fit. But Azuna's a great fit as well, I think, will slot in and, and hopefully can get back to the player he was a few years ago with the Marlins. Uh, he was really hitting the ball well then. Of course, he killed us in the playoffs last year. But <laughs> he kind of seems to be a brave killer but hopefully that will translate and he'll be able to kill the opposing teams now but uh i like the top of our rotation as well mike soroka is phenomenal i saw a thing on twitter asking you know which of these four guys is gonna be cy young and soroka wasn't even mentioned and i'm kind of like this guy needs to get more attention and i think he will if he continues along the path he's on uh, he's just so much fun to watch pitch his mentality is great out there uh, he kind of reminds me of a young greg maddox in a way just the way he goes after people and uh you know i love it uh you look at max freed more of the tom glavin type guy in the rotation and then i've heard bolty compared to smoltz at times you know he's got to harness some of his wildness maybe but those three guys at the top of the rotation i really like and what are your thoughts on the braves rotation I like it a lot. I think people are sleeping on the Braves rotation, honestly. A lot of people, they recognize Soroka, they recognize Freed, but after that, they kind of drop down. They don't like the Braves rotation that much, and I don't understand why people are sleeping on Mike fulton as much. He was a Cy Young candidate in 2018, got hurt at the beginning of last year, and when he came back in the second half, he was really good. 
the game of his life and game two of the NLDS. We don't like to talk about game five, but a lot of what happened wasn't his fault. But uh, between Fulte, if Sean Newcomb can find his control, he was great out of the bullpen last year. Don't know what he'll look like in the rotation. He kind of scares me a bit because you can't really gamble in a six-game season. If he looks bad, how fast do you take him out? That's the big question. And then Hamels, I don't want him to pitch until he's healthy. It's just if he's not healthy, I don't think he's going to produce. So let him sit until he's 100% honestly. If he's 65%, I don't think his production is going to be what we're looking for, honestly. Yeah, I really uh, hope Hamels can get healthy. I think he'd be a great guy there near the end of the rotation who can give him a veteran presence there. I know Felix Hernandez is going to sit out now with all the COVID stuff. I was looking forward to seeing how he was doing. He was pitching well in spring training initially months back, but I hate that we won't get to see him in a Braves uniform this year. Marcakis, I know, is sitting now, as we mentioned earlier, a big veteran presence at the lineup. Obviously not going to hit for a lot of power, but is a guy who is going to hit for a pretty solid average and gives you good at bats every time. And, and what he brings to the locker room, I think, can't be discounted. You know, I really enjoyed having Marcakis on the team. He's been a professional hitter. I don't know this, if this is it for him for his career because he's getting up there. But I really enjoyed that Marcakis. What are your thoughts on Marcakis as a player? Well, that, that's the funny thing about the potential signing of Puig. You go from a guy like Marquegas to Puig. That's like complete opposites right there. But uh, yeah, losing Marquegas hurts, I think, uh, more so in the clubhouse. I mean, I think Marquegas was going to produce this year. I'm uh, not sure if Duvall is going to platoon more so with Marquegas or Enciarte, but losing Marquegas hurts that platoon a lot, offensively at least. He could have even been a good DH candidate, honestly. I mean, I know his defense isn't what it used to be, but the bat against right-handed guys last year was tremendous. He could still be a middle-of-the-order guy if he's just facing righties. So it's a tough loss, but uh, I trust Anthopolis. I think he'll I think he'll find something, whether it's Puig or not, to replace that. But uh, yeah, clubhouse-wise, I mean, I don't think that can be done, honestly. Hopefully he still sticks around a bit in like a, a leadership role from like a distance obviously he won't be in the clubhouse but I'm sure he'll still be talking to guys for sure and I know I saw where you uh were predicting on Twitter you think the Braves win the division again I'm with you I do think the National League East is a really really tough division maybe toughest in baseball up there with the American League East which unfortunately we're gonna have to play both those two divisions all our games this year so it's gonna be tough it's not gonna be easy for any of those teams but talk about the National League East as a whole and how difficult it is. I think the big thing about it is the fact how many really good starting pitchers are in this division. You got Nola, Strasburg, Scherzer, Corbin, DeGrom, obviously Syndergaard's out. I still think it's too early to say Zach Wheeler's going to be a number two. He's had those really good stretches in New York, but he hasn't put it together. Analytics say he will, but we'll wait and see on that. I think the Braves can definitely win the division, though. I think the other teams have bigger holes than the Braves do, maybe. The Phillies, the bullpen isn't great. Again, with the rotation, don't know what Wheeler's going to do. Nola needs to bounce back a bit. The Nationals, quite frankly, I'm not that big on their lineup. Losing Rendon hurt a lot. You're not replacing that with Castro. The rotation, the the thing saving the Nationals is the rotation, because quite frankly, that's probably the best rotation in baseball. The bullpen will be pretty solid. I'm not sure if Daniel Hudson will repeat what he did last year, but it's still solid. 
And then the Mets, I think, I think the Mets are a wild card team. Obviously, they can't stay healthy the last few years. If they do, though, that's going to be pretty scary. The rotation, not so sure about. You kind of got to hope that Porcello or Waka or Mats has a big season for them if they're going to stick around. But I think for the most part, besides the Braves, the Mets might be the most complete. Yeah, I saw you were kind of predicting maybe the Mets to be in second place in the division this year, and some people were kind of disagreeing with that. But I think after the Braves, you know, you look at the Nationals, the Phillies, the Mets are all capable of finishing a couple spots in the division. And I think it's those four teams and then the Marlins, you know, still building and uh, have been for a while. But, but uh, you know, you see that. And I think it's the Braves division this year. Not going to be easy, as I said. Going to come down to the wire, I think. You know, Nationals obviously winning the World Series last year are going to have something to say about it but we'll see it's going to be fun to watch I'm really excited to get the season started and uh, get things rolling you know I want to talk about going back what are your earliest memories as a Braves fan when did you kind of get into baseball well I was born in 1998 and it took me about a decade to actually care about baseball uh, my family lifelong Braves fans but I was at Turner Field playing with action figures for the most part. I didn't start watching Braves until 2008, and I'd say 2009 is when I really started caring. Watching Brian McCann got me into Braves baseball heavily, and now I'm I'm addicted. I'm trying to learn as much as I can about stats and anything I can. But uh, yeah, Chipper Jones, Brian McCann, Craig Kimbrell, Tim Hudson, those are probably what consist of my early memories. I got to say, it hurts me to say I never really watched Smoltz, Maddox, or Glavin. I watched them, but I was playing on my Game Boy Advance while they were pitching. So, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I uh, I was born in 1990, so it took me almost a decade as well to get into it. So I was about 98, 99 is my earliest memories of the Braves. First game I ever remember watching, they were playing the Rockies in Coors Field. It was a very high-scoring game, as you would expect. Uh, I think it was 9-8, something like that as a final, and Braves won. And I've been pretty hooked ever since for about two decades now. I thankfully got to see a lot of John Smoltz, who might be my second favorite player ever behind Chipper. Uh, Chipper's always been the guy I kind of gravitated towards. Uh, and, you know, I know you caught the end of his career that you were really paying a lot of attention. And God, just my gosh, could hit the ball so well. I know he uh, is doing some announcing now. I really think he's doing a great job in that role. He's great at telling stories and, and giving a lot of insight. People have talked about, man, Chipper would be a great hitting coach or even manager one day, and that'd be awesome if he decided to go that way. I know he enjoys the time with his family. He's got a very large family, a lot of kids, but uh, and a whole baseball team, really. But I love Chipper. I love Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz. Uh, those were the heyday of the Braves. But I like this young core. I think they could really get back to being something like that again. And uh, they're building. You know, it was a tough stretch because I got to see a lot of their 14 straight division titles, the, the latter half of that. And uh, it was tough seeing them struggle for a few years. But it's worth it. If in the end they get a team put together like they seem to be, and I think they're doing a great job and on the right track for that. A lot of young people don't really get into baseball these days. They say it's too slow. What about baseball to you makes it so special? I mean, a lot of people talk about it's love at first sight. That's what it was for me for the most part. But uh, I don't know. People talk about the smell of baseball, the sound. 
I just liked watching it. I I don't think I really ever pinpointed anything that got me into the game. I, I remember Brian McCann hit a grand slam, and I just thought, hey, that's cool. Let me watch this more. But I don't know. I, I feel like MLB is not doing a good enough job at getting kids in. Manfred, uh, there's a lot you could say about him, obviously. I think they'll get better. Uh, their uh, commercials that they've been doing, the little TikTok videos, they've been doing some pretty good jobs with that. I've seen a lot of people going, hey, this looks pretty cool. Let me watch baseball this year. But uh, I don't know. So that's a good question, but I'm not I'm not sure if I could put an answer on that. Yeah, it's just something I've always enjoyed growing up. You know, since I started watching baseball, I, I think that was the first sport I really played on a team, and uh, and I got into basketball more, and I was really better at that. But I've always had a love for baseball and, and Braves baseball in particular. There's just nothing like it. You know, I know there's the the question of the chop. I don't know where they're going to go with that and stuff. I've grown up loving that. Obviously, don't want to be offensive to anybody, uh, Native Americans or anything, but it's just always something that since Deion Sanders was with the Braves has taken off, and that's when it started. And it's something that you go to a Braves ballpark or you watch them on TV, you're really waiting for that chop to start because it means something really good is happening for the Braves. But uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens this season. It's it's going to be exciting. I do want to get in now to a segment that my wife actually came up with the name with when we started this. Uh, we do it each week, uh, Ranky Panky, where we each rank a top five of something. So it's usually sports-based. Today, since we've been talking a lot about baseball, I wanted to rank our top five favorite baseball movies for each of us. First of all, during quarantine, I've really had a lot of time to watch a ton of movies, uh, and some of them have been baseball movies, and some of them were baseball movies I have not seen prior to this. I know The Sandlot is a classic in a lot of people's minds, and I finally got the chance to watch The Sandlot for the first time earlier this year. Hardball is another one Keanu Reeves set in Chicago that I watched recently. And then The Scout, which had Brandon Frazier, a young Brandon Frazier. And uh, so I watched that for the first time. Those were some movies that I just wanted to mention that I watched during quarantine. I don't have them anywhere on my list, actually. None of those. Honorable mentions that I had, movies that I've liked for a long time, going back to 1993, uh, Rookie of the Year, uh, this kid that hurts his hand and, and has to wear a bandage and, and ends up pitching for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, I've always enjoyed that movie, so I had that as an honorable mention. I had The Rookie as honorable mention, 2002. Dennis Quaid played uh, pitcher Jim Morris based on a true story. I love that story of him being a high school coach and, and the team you know, makes the deal with him you know, if they have success that he'll go and, and try out for the major leagues. Uh, he does. And then actually another one I've got on honorable mention, the last one is uh, Trouble with the Curve. 2012. I think some people sleep on that movie. I really enjoyed it. I mean, Clint Eastwood, Amy Adams, Justin Timberlake, I think is an underrated actor as well. I enjoyed Trouble with the Curve as a whole. Do you have any uh, honorable mentions? I'll put Trouble with the Curve on the honorable mentions list. Did you say Rookie of the Year? Was that the... Rookie of the Year wasn't an honorable mention for me. It was 93, the kid picture, and then the rookie is the Dennis Quaid movie. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I I, don't, I forgot the titles, but the one with the kid who becomes a cub with the the arm that that's on it. There's also the movie the the kid that became the twins manager. I like that one, but that's honorable mentions. Uh, yeah, I uh I got. Let me pull my list up real quick. There is another honorable mention that I will mention later that coincides with my number three slot. So I'll mention that one later. But uh, 
I'll start with my number five. I've got at number five, uh, Major League, 1989. You've got Charlie Sheen, uh, Ricky Vaughn. He plays the pitcher in that. That's a classic for a lot of people and very highly ranked. Some of the sequels didn't go over quite as well, but I enjoyed Major League. So that's my number five. What have you got? I put Moneyball. Anytime I see uh, Billy Bean or think of Billy Bean, I think of Brad Pitt at this point. I I know a lot of people talk about it didn't get the facts completely right. They don't mention that the Oakland Athletics simply had one of the best rotations in baseball, one through three that year. But I think that movie was really well done. It was one of the first baseball movies I saw in theaters. I have it on DVD. I love it a lot. So that's my number five. Awesome. I love Moneyball, and that'll be on my list later. Number four, I have uh, 42. Came out in 2013, Chadwick Boseman's first leading role as Jackie Robinson. Just the importance of that movie, obviously, all the time, not just in baseball, but in the country. And it was really well done. I really enjoyed that movie. So I had 42 at number four. I don't know if you've heard of this movie, but I have at number four, Eight Men Out. Have you heard of that? Heard of it. Haven't seen it. It's about the uh, Chicago White Sox, the Black Sox scandal. Charlie Sheen's actually in that one, too. It's really good. Uh, I I love comedy movies, but most of this list consists of serious movies, I feel like. But yeah, that was a great movie. I need to check that out. That's one that I've got on my list to check out. I haven't watched it in a while, but yeah, I love that. Yeah. Uh, Number three. I've got A League of Their Own, 1992. The uh, haven't watched that one. Tom Hanks is the uh, manager for this all-girls team. We got Rosie O'Donnell is in the movie, uh, Madonna, several others. There's a lot of funny moments in that movie. It's a classic to me. Going back, one of the first uh, baseball movies I can remember watching. So I went with A League of Their Own at three. So for my number three, and this is where one of my honorable mentions comes in. I don't know how often you watch MLB Network, but if you watch it as much as I do, you know they love showing movies, especially in the offseason. For whatever reason, they show Major League Two 50 times in like a week, and they never show the first Major League movie. I've probably seen Major League Two 100 times, and a few nights ago, Major League came on on a different channel and I was just sitting there like have I even watched this before it there's some scenes it wasn't familiar so I'm putting major league two at number three major league one's honorable mention just because I feel like I've seen the second one a hundred times more I love that movie so well done I've never seen the third one I don't plan to I don't know why they made the third one but I, I know the first one was great I'm sure if I watched it enough it would be on my list too but I'll put major league two as the, the third slot yeah, it seems like sometimes we can these days get so many sequels <laughs> that, you know, it gets diluted. And, you know, obviously we know how many of the Fast and the Furious have been made, uh-huh. which, which I, I still enjoy. <laughs> but number two, I mentioned it earlier. You mentioned it, uh, Moneyball, 2011. You know, not a lot of on-field action in that movie, but I love the behind-the-scenes type stuff. I did a football list on one of my early episodes with a guest and had the movie Draft Day on there. So this kind of reminds me of the baseball version of Draft Day in a way. Moneyball, a more behind-the-scenes look. Like you mentioned, I don't like that they didn't focus on the awesome pitching staff that Oakland had because that was really a big part of that team. But I do love that movie. Uh, Brad Pitt as Billy Bean. Jonah Hill was in it. Chris Pratt, who I'm a big fan of, had a role in it. So Moneyball was my number two. For number two, I put 42. Obviously, the acting in that movie is so good. Like you mentioned, Chadwick Boseman. The importance of that movie is just, I actually watched that a few weeks ago on DVD too. I own the DVD releases. I have 42, Moneyball, and Trouble with the Curve. 
I don't know why I got Trouble with the Curve. It's not on my list, but I think I like Trouble with the Curve because it was at Turner Field. I think that's why I like it so much, just because I love Turner Field. But yeah, 42, it's number second for me. So that gets us to number one, which for me is a movie from 1988, Bull Durham. Focuses on a team here in North Carolina, the uh, minor league team, the Durham Bulls. And, uh, you know, you got Kevin Costner. I think you think of baseball movies. Kevin Costner's been in several of them, but this is the best one to me. He's the veteran catcher who mentors the young pitcher. There's a love triangle with Susan Sarandon's character. I love Bull Durham. And uh, so it was number one on my list. I will say that I'm not that big on Bull Durham, and I'm also not that big on The Natural, even though that's a, that's a classic, obviously. The Natural's not bad, but maybe about eight or nine on my list. I just thought Bull Durham was, I'm not going to say boring. I guess I just didn't care for it as much. I know that's a bad opinion, but uh, number one, I put Sandlot. It just That movie makes me feel like a kid when I watch it. It makes me happy. Yeah, it's my favorite movie, probably of all time, if not just baseball-wise. Yeah, I saw where they made another Sandlot, which they kind of used. It sounds like the same plot, just with different actors. Have you seen that? Yeah, I, didn't, I did not. I don't yeah, plan to either. I don't either. I, I've heard about it, and it doesn't sound like anything I want to be a part of. But no. I didn't have the Sandlot on my list. I didn't like it as much as some people, I think. But, you know, it's a movie I would watch again. I mean, there's some great moments. Uh, like when the kid is acting like he was drowning and the girl, <laughs> the older girl. And yeah. That's that's a funny part. You know, the Killing Me Smalls line is classic. So there are some great moments in that movie, and I can see why people would have it rate highly. That's why it's always fun to do these lists because you see how different people view things in some ways. I mean, we have some similarities and some, some of the same movies on our list, but then totally different at the top. So that was a lot of fun. Brian, I've enjoyed talking with you today, man. I, thank you for taking the time out to share the story. You know, congratulations on your new little bit of fame there with uh, Yassil Puig and getting the Twitter followers. I know you are an aspiring sports journalist and, and wanting to get into more of this kind of stuff. And I wish you luck with that. Uh, hopefully you can get back with the Fayetteville Woodpeckers next year. Hopefully things will, will get through this COVID stuff and be able to return to some sense of normalcy. So, uh, you know, I wish you luck with that. And uh, I've enjoyed talking with you today, man. I appreciate you having me on. This was fun. Awesome, man. Well, take care. All right. Thank you. And that does it for this week's Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. Again, I'd like to thank Brian Chandler, the clubhouse assistant, and Bat Boy for the Fayetteville Woodpeckers for joining me today. Enjoyed our conversation. As always, Ranky Panky was really fun. Going back through my top five baseball movies, going five to one, I had Major League, 42, A League of Their Own, Moneyball, and Bull Durham. Brian's list, five to one, Moneyball, Eight Men Out, Major League Two, 42, and The Sandlot. Thanks again, Brian. Really enjoyed talking with you today, a fellow Braves fan and North Carolina native. Next week, I'll have another North Carolina native on the show, a guy I've known going back to at least middle school. We graduated from the same high school, actually, but he's an up-and-coming Christian hip-hop artist. I'll have Billy James here next week. We'll talk about his new album, his creative process, some music topics, as well as some sports, because he's a big sports fan as well. So looking forward to having Billy James on here next week, catching up with him. 
Until then, you can follow me on Twitter at SuperJMac32. Like Four Chords with Josh McKinney on Facebook. You can find this podcast on all kinds of platforms. Take care, folks, and come back next week for more Four Quarters with Josh McKinney.